but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. Can you hear me? That scared me for a second. <laughs> we could have done it, but... Last week some people found it helpful to have my notes, <laughs> or some of my notes, so I printed some more off so if someone could hand those around, and if you don't get one, share. It's Christian gathering, we know how to share. They're still coming? Yes. That'll do. No, no. You keep handing out. I'm an impatient person, really. Doesn't look like it, but I am a little. Sorry? Did I? Oh. Phew. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 through to chapter 6 verse 3. It's part of a series that we're continuing in the book of Hebrews. We started this about 10, 11 weeks ago. Oh, 16 weeks ago. For the last 10 weeks or so before last week we were doing the Grace series. And now we're having a look back into the book of Hebrews. Let me pray and then we'll come and look at this passage of Scripture. Fathers, we come tonight to have a look at your word. We ask that by your Spirit you might teach us. By your Spirit you might prompt us and guide us, encourage us, help us to listen, but also help us to understand and help us to put whatever it is that you have to say to us into practice in our lives, that we might grow in maturity to be more like Jesus, to be fitting servants of yours, worthy of the wonderful gospel that you have given to us. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Saviour and Lord. Amen. If you remember, or if you don't, last week we had a look at the high priesthood of Christ. Basically, at the end of chapter 4, the writer of the Hebrews talks about how when we, the God's word actually opens us up and, and, and pairs us bare. And if we actually understand that God sees who we are down to the very nature of our souls and he is the one before whom we come in judgment, our reaction is to hide, it's to go away, to to feel as Adam and Eve did our nakedness before God and want to hide it. And so last week we looked at how the writer of the book of Hebrews wants to encourage people, look, don't run But remember you have Christ who is there as the mediator between you and God and he understands that. He understands because he's been in in situations of great hardship and difficulty, trials and temptations. And rather than just understanding, he is compassionate towards you. He has lived through them and he's perfect so he can come before God and you can be clothed in his righteousness. And 
the, the writer is going to talk about Melchizedek and, and compare Christ to Melchizedek. And then we get to this little, kind of like a hiatus, if you like, or a little speed bump. I think it's like most preachers, because it's more likely that the, that the book of Hebrews was kind of that thing that was read out where he gets to a certain point and he then wants to kind of make an application to the people who are in front of him to say, boy, this, let, me, let me encourage you, let me give you an application, let me show you how you can actually put this into practice. And so he kind of, as he's thinking about all he's going to say, he says this, we have much to say about this, and then he looks at his audience and says, but it's uh, hard to make it clear to you because no, you no longer try to understand or other versions might say because you're actually dull of hearing or you're too lazy to pay attention really you don't listen carefully now most people appreciate hopefully preachers who talk this is what the Bible says but they tend to don't like preachers who start meddling in their personal lives a little bit too much by focused application to their lives And I can imagine those people who are listening to the book of Hebrews read out are quite happy to sit there and take in this stuff about the high priest and Melchizedek. But then he says, look, I have a lot to say about this, but I can't in front of you guys because you're dull of hearing. You're sluggish. And then he goes into this little section where he's actually applying it straight into the people. And he says, you're struggling with this, because you, you've got the basics but you haven't gone on. You haven't gone any further. You've heard but it hasn't changed your life. You've heard but we really can't see how you're going on with Jesus. And in order to understand this stuff you need to have progressed past that simple stuff. Now, I'm, I find it hard to hear. If you sometimes come up behind me and talk to me and I ignore you, it's, I'm not being rude. I'm not. I probably need to have little signs posted on the sides of my shirt and on my back which says, hearing impaired. All right? Because if you talk to me from anywhere where I can't see you, I can't hear you. My ears don't work well enough. All right? So that if I'm actually having a conversation with you, you'll notice that what I do is I actually, if I'm interested, (laughs) shouldn't have said that. I actually look at you and I'm more likely than not to be looking at your mouth because I read your lips. I get bits and pieces of the sound and I have to put them together with the movements of your lips to make out what words you're talking about so that I can process them to be able to understand them. So in other words, to actually listen to you, if I'm going to concentrate, is hard work. I actually have to be focused to do it. So if you talk to me out here and you say, hey David, I want to talk to you about this, and I walk off, I'm not being rude. Unless I've seen you, watched you do this, and then walked off, then I'm being rude. Because for me to to carry on a conversation is a lot of hard work. What the writer here is saying is, look, you're in this relationship with Jesus. You've come to this relationship with Christ, but I don't see any evidence that you spend any time really putting any effort into trying to understand what it is that God's saying to you, what God wants you to do, how God wants you to live. In other words, I don't see that you've got enough understanding, enough basics to understand the the depth that I want to do in talking about the high priesthood of Jesus. And he does this a number of times in this chapter where he, he kind of goads them into a bit of action and, and if you like, beats them with a stick. And then, of course, he offers a carrot. But the whole point of all of this is to motivate the people who are listening to him to be interested, to not be sluggish of hearing. And, and I don't know about you, but I know that there is a tendency sometimes in me to coast. 
I know university for me was, well, high school, was often a coasting time. You listened in the lecture that was done and then you went and played sport and you coasted. Now, my, some of my results reflected my coasting. But I remember some of the subjects that I did. You know, I'd rock up and I'd sit in the lecture and I'd, I remember one in particular. I think it was two-dimensional, three-dimensional, multi-dimensional vectors and matrices or something like that. And I rocked up to the first lecture and I couldn't understand what he was saying. I just didn't get it. I'm not sure if I just... He was had a strange accent or, or I was just stupid or whatever it was. So I... Listen. And then I went to my first tutorial and I handed out my tutorial thing and I was supposed to fill in and I I put it in my bag and I went home. I rocked up to the next lecture. I didn't understand it. He was talking just as much rubbish as he talked the first lecture. And I went to the next tutorial and they handed out this stuff which I'm supposed to be able to do after what he said. I don't think so. I put it in my bag and left. And I worked out that it really wasn't much point going to the lectures as long as I got those pieces of paper. So I only rocked up to the tutorials, picked up the piece of paper and went home. Got ten weeks into the course and there's three weeks left into the exam. And I thought, time to do some work. Pulled out one of these sheets to have a look at. I think I said, still, I I don't get this. (laughs) What's this about? He said, oh, I don't know. I haven't been going to that lecture. How am I supposed to find out? I could have, she could have said, go to lectures, but she was a very loving wife. I don't think she said that. You know how much work it is to learn all that stuff on your own without any help? I don't think I slept for the next three weeks. Because now I had to pour it all in. If they had given me the test at the 10-week mark instead of the 13-week mark, I would have failed. And that's what the writer is saying to the Hebrews. Saying, I look at you and you've, you've had opportunity and it's been there. You've, you've had this stuff in front of you. But I don't see any evidence. And in the first section, in the end of chapter 5, verses 11, 12 and 13, he gives three signs of, of what it is that in, in, some sense, in some sense shows that they're sluggish Christians or they're dull of hearing or they're slow. Firstly, he basically says they're lazy in their faith. All right? They no longer try to understand. They don't ponder. They don't delight. They don't meditate. Some of the commentaries say because it talks a little bit later on about the word of righteousness and the teaching of righteousness and the fact that you're talking about hearing the word. We don't get into our scriptures. We don't do background reading. We don't get into Bible study. We don't spend time chewing on it and mulling over it. And so we, we don't know it. I thought I'd do a little test. Is that all right? See how well you are? See how sluggish you are? You can talk about this in the second page table. So I'm going to read out ten phrases. And I want you to tell me which ones are not from the scriptures. See how well you know them, okay? So think about these. You can talk about it in the table in your groups. I'll give you about two minutes. Firstly, some of them are really easy, all right? God helps those who help themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Hate the sin, love the sinner. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. Bear the rod, spoil the child. To thine own self be true. So I couldn't help that one. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Money is the root of all evil. The eye is the window to the soul and pride comes before the fall. Talk about it for 30 seconds and work out which ones you think are in the scriptures.
Some people are not oral people, so you don't remember. So let me read them out to you again. God helps those who help themselves. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Hate the sin, love the sinner. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. Spare the rod, spoil the child. To thine own self be true. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Money is the root of all evil. The eye is the window to the soul. Pride comes before a fall. I could have put it down, but I didn't. All right, who wants to volunteer an answer? Pastor Daryl? No, my second, sorry. Will we vote? Because that's easy, that way everyone gets a chance. All right, number one, God helps those who help themselves. Who says that's in the scriptures? Your granddad was right. It was actually said by Benjamin Franklin, which I suppose is the scriptures for some American brothers and sisters. Cleanliness is next to godliness. <coughs> no, that's not in there. Two easy ones. Hate the sin, love the sinner. That's not in there either. Sorry. Mahatma Gandhi said that. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. He says that's in the scriptures. No. Sorry. Easy one. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Amen. No, not in there. It would be nice if it was, but it's not actually in there. Sorry. To thine own self be true. Shakespeare. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No, nice if it was. Money is the root of all evil. No. The eye is the window to the soul. No. Pride comes before the fall? No. None of them. And yet, in a recent survey, most of those people said who were parts of churches, they're from the scripture. Now, that was the example that this commentary said. It basically said, we don't study it enough. I had a look at some of them and said, depends what version you go to. But it's not really there. Except some of those really liberal versions. But some really liberal people read. Okay. That's the first one. People who are lazy in their faith. And I don't know if this applies to you. But I suppose the question I ask is in, when it comes to relationship with you and the Lord and understanding how God impacts into your life, how important is it for you? How much time do you spend on it? Basically what the writer here is trying to do is to encourage the people who are listening to him that the message of Christ is so important you should grasp hold of it, not loosely let it slip through your fingers. And so I suppose the question that you would ask is are we like that or more personally are you like that? How much time do you spend seeking to understand this faith that is yours? the things that you've heard, the things that are preached, the things that you have opportunity to listen to, the people when you have conversations with them, do you spend time in it? If you don't, the writer to the Hebrews here is saying, you're sluggish. And he's saying that for the, the whole suggestion that you stop being like that. Then instead you become really keen to go out and not be lazy, but to invest in your faith. Then he goes on saying, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Pretty much what he's saying is that by now you should be helping others. But you're not. You're still there taking. By now you should be answering the questions that people have but now you're still waiting for people to sit and to give to you by now you should be able to take this message of the gospel and take it out into the community you should be able to take it out and encourage and equip your friends who are around you but you don't 
he would tie it in, I think, again with this whole concept of laziness in the sense if it's too much work. It's much easier if someone else does the work and answers the question. And I can say, go talk to Pastor Darrell. He's got the answer. He'll help you out. He's done the study. Whereas what he's saying is, by now, if someone's been a Christian for a reasonable length of time, and they've had the opportunity of being fed the Word of God, having the Scriptures in front of them, listening to it, being in a community of faith, by now, those people, regardless of whatever their interpersonal skills are and their, their gifts and qualities, should be able to be using that in their everyday life. So again, I throw it out there as an application to you, as a, a thing for you to think about if you look at your life. Are you still there taking in the faith about Jesus? Or have you learned it to the extent that you can start to begin to share and to give it to other people? Whether other Christians where you help them in their walk with Christ, or non-Christians and you help to explain to them the gospel of Jesus. And basically the writer is saying, I really wish I could go into the deep stuff. But I'm not quite there yet because you guys still are you're not struggling with it enough. You're not wrestling with it. You're not listening. You should be teaching by now, but I've got to keep going back to the simple stuff. And in verse 13 he says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Now, what does he mean about the teaching about righteousness? People talk about that. It's either all that there is to know about Jesus, because back at the beginning of Hebrews, he talks about the, the true word of God, who is Jesus Christ. And he's just talked about the righteousness of Christ. So maybe he's talking about Jesus. You're not really acquainted with Jesus, is what he's saying. Or... You're not really, because he's going to be coming on a little bit later to talk about how what they understand about Jesus is supposed to be lived out and seen in the way that they walk. And the pathway that a Christian who knows Jesus is supposed to walk is a pathway of righteousness. So the commentators argue between this one or that one. My suggestion is probably both. The understanding that we have about Jesus and who Jesus is if it impacts our life, it shows out in the choices that we make and the pathway that we walk. And he basically says, if you keep living on milk and you're still an infant, then you're not really growing, which means you're not really understanding what Jesus has done for you and you're not understanding what it is that he wants you to do and how he wants you to live. And he goes on in verse 14, this is what you're supposed to be like. But solid food is for the mature. And that word probably is for the, those who are being made perfect or those who are being completed, who are growing up in their faith. The harder stuff is for those people. Now how, how, how do you see the difference is sluggishness, dullness of hearing and maturity? He says this. The mature, those who are being completed in their faith, who have by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What he's basically saying is you're sluggish because you really don't understand enough to be able to make choices that are godly. You come up to a situation and you don't know what God would have you do because you haven't thought about it. He says on the other hand those people who have grown up in faith who are mature in faith they have thought these things true. They've trained themselves to practice, to constantly think about, to constantly use their understanding of Christ and what he wants to determine their pathway of walking. And you can see it in their life. You can understand. Little kids are fun, aren't they? I can see a couple of little kids around the place. I love watching little kids learn to walk. They get up, they fall over, they get up, they fall over. I don't really like the falling over bit, but sometimes it's really funny and some of those bloopers are amazing. I've been sick and not able to walk and have to learn to walk again. It's not fun. And the tendency is to sit in your chair and think, 
electric wheelchair. But no, you actually have to practice moving your legs and moving your muscles and getting your brain working again until you can learn to do it again. I can't dance, but I can walk again. So that's what he's talking about. He's saying you, by constant use, train yourself to know the pathway to walk by constantly thinking about the teaching of righteousness, what Jesus is like and what he wants. And we face those decisions every single day. What is it that Jesus wants me to do in this situation? And sometimes we've spent more time thinking about the choices that other people have to make than the choices that we have to make in our life. And how do we work out that rightness and wrongness? Should we say this about the person or should we not say this about the person? Should we look at this type of movie or not look at this type of movie? Should we read this type of book? Should we not read this type of book? The only way that we can actually come to some sort of conclusion about those matters is to have thought about it. Quick two minute discussion at your tables or in the little group around you. Is it right or wrong to read stories about werewolves and vampires? Go, from a Christian perspective, you've got 60 seconds to talk about it in your group. Go. Just don't say yes, no, give some rationale. Next 60 seconds, 30 seconds, what I want you to discuss, is it okay to vote for someone in politics when you disagree completely with their worldview? Talk about that for 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Last one. Is it okay to alleviate someone's pain and everything past the period of time when they would naturally die with enormous expense and enormous cost to the society and the family just so they don't feel pain and they have an expected long life? Right? Is it fair to do that? Is it right to do that? Is it morally okay to do that in a world where thousands of people starve every single moment from a lack of money? Talk about it. Go. Okay, so the answers to all of these questions we found in, next, in Pastor Dale's next blog in the bulletin. <laughs> They're not problems that are out there. They're problems that are faced by people here. They're problems that we come in contact with. And the question isn't whether or not what I end up doing is the right thing or the wrong thing, really, in many cases. It's I go through the motion of doing something because I've never thought about it. I haven't determined if my action is something that God wants or doesn't want. I'm just doing what everybody does. Now, these 
are three of a myriad of things. And basically what the writer of the Hebrews says, if you want to be Christian, then the actions that you make, the things that you do, the things that you say, are to be determined by your understanding of Christ and his righteousness. And what he expects you to walk as a righteous follower of his, a servant of his. And the only way that you grow is to constantly think, what would Jesus have me do in this situation? What do the scriptures have to say about this? Not just about whether or not it's a millennia and we come beforehand or afterwards. Those theological questions are interesting, believe it or not. But the everyday pattern of life that we walk, what music we should listen to, what drinks we should have, what friends we should have, what clothes we should wear. And the scripture has things to say about all of this. And basically what the writer of the Hebrews is saying to the people who he's talking to, he says, you'd let all that slip. You're not doing anything about it. You're, you're not even trying. And he says, that's why it's hard to go on to some of this deeper stuff because you don't quite see how it interacts with the whole world that you live. And he says, you can tell those people who are a bit sluggish because they struggle to distinguish the right path from the wrong path. And you know, I could go into all sorts of things because the scriptures have stuff to say about what type of contraception we use to where we go on our holidays. The scriptures have stuff to say about it. And the writer of Hebrews says, you should be able to distinguish your pathway of righteousness. You have to be able to determine there is good and there is wickedness. And maybe there's a pathway where it's neither good nor wicked and we're just allowed to do it. But again, you determine that by knowing Jesus and walking with him. That's the problem that he quickly wants to address with these people. And then we get to chapter 6. and um, Next week we'll look at from verse 4 onwards where he talks about a motivating way of trying to get people to grab hold of Jesus with a particular argument. But here he's just got this this little three verses, and that's all we have time for tonight, that are talking about, well, now, let me, just, let me just quickly put in place for you. This is the elementary stuff, and I want to go behind, beyond there, but you're not ready to go beyond there. And then at the end of the section, he goes, oh, well, we're going to go beyond there anyways. Why is that? Because really, he understands that often... The only way to motivate people to go beyond a particular place is to push them that little bit further. Why did I learn that subject in mathematics? Because I had the exam. I should, if I'd gone to the lecture and said, you know, excuse me, um, I haven't really studied, and I'd appreciate it if you'd just give me a hall pass from doing the exam, and I'll do it again next semester. He would have said, sure. You can have a fail and you can pay to do the subject again next year and it's on your academic record. I knew all of that. So the fact that I knew I had to do it kind of pushed me into it. And so that's kind of what the writer of the Hebrews does here. He says, so, okay, this is the elementary stuff. I really, you're not past there yet. I need to take it further. And we really can't go further until you've learned that stuff. But <laughs> let's go further. I'm going to push you, I'm going to develop it. And therefore in the next parts of chapter 7, 8, 9 and 70, we learn more about this wonderful priesthood of Christ Jesus, which is sometimes difficult to struggle with in our minds. And basically what the writer is trying to do here is encourage us that when we get to that, we wrestle with it, we listen to it. So in other words, if there's stuff that you hear and you study in the scriptures or you read in a passage or you hear in a sermon or you get in Bible study or listen on the radio, and you say, I just don't get that, don't say it's too hard. What he's trying to do is to encourage you to say, okay, I'm going to find out the answer to this one. I'm going to dig deeper until I got it. And that's what he's trying to do is to spur these people on to study how wonderful it is to have Jesus Christ as our high priest. So, very quickly then, verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. In the next section, verses 4 to 12, he's going to say what the danger is. If you don't move forward, he says, you'll fall away. There is no 
hanging in the New Testament for Christians. You can't just hang. You can't sit on the fence. Basically, what the writer here is trying to encourage is saying, if you really want to walk with Jesus, if you really want to grow in Jesus, you have to keep moving. You have to grasp hold of him. You have to move along with him because if you don't do that, you will move away. There's no feeling. I was driving on the new airport link. Fantastic. From our house to the airport, 16 minutes. Fantastic. No, no red lights, nothing. But the first time I did it, because I did it a few times this week, you get to the road and there's two roads. And there's that way that I used to go and that way that I think I'm supposed to go. And I must admit, my indecision was there for a moment. And it was like that, some of those movies where the car just goes straight down the centre line. Well, there was this big white thing with slashes on it. And you're supposed to take one or the other. I drove on the white bump, 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 bump for a little while because I wasn't quite sure which way to go until I went that way. But I was forced to make a decision because there's this big, huge barrier in front of me and I figured it would hurt to hit it and it would be dumb to stop. So I quickly made and I went through the tunnel. It's fantastic. Well, I found it really good. All right? So, the writer here says, that's what we're like in the Christian life. You've got one of those two pathways to go and he's encouraging us here, for the sake of your maturity, move beyond the basics and be moved forward into maturity by laying hold of Christ. Next week, he's going to be talking about, again, trying to way to encourage people to persevere on through their trials and their difficulties. Whereas I think what a lot of Christians do, a lot of the people that I see, they really wish they could just hang there until that last moment. Wouldn't you love it to get an advance notice that Jesus is coming back in 24 hours? Man, I would be so jolly, mature Christian in that 24 hours. It would be unbelievable. I would fast and pray, cut my hair. I'd do all sorts of things. And I'd just be waiting. We don't get that. But I think a lot of people kind of think, I'm going to hang until I see the clouds just begin to move and then I'm going to jump on Jesus' side and say, I'm all yours, Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews says, you can't do that. If you don't move forward to maturity, you will be falling away. They're the only two options. And then he goes on to talk about that basic teaching that we all should have already at our fingertips. I just want to go through it fairly quickly and you can think this one through um, for yourselves a little bit later. But this is just to make certain that it's embedded and foundational to your understanding. He says, not again laying the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. This is the very foundation, if you like, and on, on this, in fact, uh, uh, even some of the elementary teachings, I think, are built. He says there is this repentance from, and I think it's better translated, from dead works. It's repentance from dead works, which is, I think, a euphemism for sin. He said you... The foundation on which we understand is that we need to repent of our sin and have faith in God. More likely than not, this came from some sort of catechism that they were learning, some sort of basic primer ABCs of faith. And these were the two of the first things that you learned. You understood that our Christian faith is founded. We have been justified by faith in Christ because our sin is dealt with. And lots of people try and keep it there. I've been saved. Amen. Praise Jesus. And it is amen. Praise Jesus. But that's the foundation. That's the basics. And yet some people constantly keep coming back to that again and again, never having grasped hold of it and imbibed it and made it their own and say, all right, I want the next stuff. I want what comes after that. I want more. I want to understand the depth and the height and the breadth of everything that Jesus has done. They say, no, I'm satisfied with this. I'm just satisfied. I keep repenting of my sin. I have faith in God and I'm saved. Full stop, end of story. That's it. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, that's the elementary teachings. There's much more than that. Yes, that's foundational. Yes, you have to understand that, but it's more than that. 
And then he gets the next couple of things, next pair of things. He says, instruction about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands. And every time I read that, I kind of think, yeah, right, we just don't understand anything about that. Uh, commentators have different things. And if you're interested in this, you can read up about all the different stuff that they suggest. The word cleansing rites is, is kind of like the word for baptism, but it's in the plural, it's baptisms. And it really is probably better translated washings, or in Old English, your ablutions, your cleansings. So it kind of says instructions about your washings, and people kind of struggle as to what is that talking about? My feeling, it could be a whole range of things. But if we go to Hebrews 10:22, which is a little bit later on in the chapter, he says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. In many ways, I think he's talking about this process of, of coming to God and, and beginning this process of sanctification. Or he could be making reference to how people, if it's particularly if they've got a Jewish background, how they understand the ritual cleansings and John's baptism and Jesus' baptism and how it all works that ties together as to what brings people newness of life in Christ. And that understanding is something that we come to understand. We talk about baptism. Does it save? Does it not save? What happens? That's a part of our foundational understanding of Christ, that we are saved by Christ alone. But we have this, if you like, we have this identification with the body of Christ through through baptism and that we in we be that opens up if you like this this connection this identification with Jesus and lets it be known to the world that we're his and then he goes on to talk about the laying on of hands now in the New Testament the laying on of hands is talking about a whole range of things you lay on hands for people's healing you lay on hands in, in Timothy for gifts being given from the Holy Spirit. You lay on hands when people are set out and commissioned for a work prompted by the Spirit. In many ways I think it was probably a title again for one of these primers and these two tied together talk about the, the Christian life, that process having come to Jesus of being a part of the family of God and as the Spirit works in our life to bring us to maturity. And this is a part of our foundational Christian understanding that we repent of the way which we have rebelled against God. We repent of our sins, our dead work. We put our faith in Christ Jesus knowing that only through him and what he's done on the cross are we saved. And then we come into and identify with Christ. We're a part of his family. The Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, prompts us and guides us and matures us on to grow in faith. And we're gifted to work in the church and we're prompted and encouraged to go out into the world and to share the gospel. This is a part of our Christian life, our whole sanctification. And then he goes on and talks about two more things, another pair, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Again, it's part of the basic Christian understanding. This world doesn't finish when we die I don't know how many people talk to you think when you die it's it, it's over with no the scriptures are very clear and those who come to faith understand but that's just the beginning there is a resurrection from the dead and then we get to go to be with God there's this final judgment where the sheep the goats where those who are in the land's book of life and those who aren't those who are gods and those who aren't there's heaven there's hell And he says, this is your elementary teaching. This is the stuff you understand. And I would imagine if you've been a Christian for a while, you've got those basics there. You know how you come to faith. You understand that we're supposed to be involved in the church. The Spirit lives within us to prompt us and grow us to be more like Jesus. And one day we'll die and he will judge us. And if we're found in Christ, we'll go to heaven. If we're not found in Christ, we'll go to hell. And the writer of the Hebrews says, that's not enough. You've got to dig deeper. You've got to go further. You've got to work at how that impacts your life to see how you walk. 
Now, you guys got a 15-minute break with soup. I want you to have a two-minute break now. And because we're a little bit more laid back, I want you to feel free to ask any questions and I'll see if I can answer them. If I've confused you completely or you want to ask me a question about something. So I want you to see if you're welcome just a few people to ask some questions about tonight's sermon. If you don't feel comfortable, I'll walk around and let you ask the question on this thing. Um, you can text me your question if you like. Uh, Leonie's going to put my phone number up there. I've got my phone here. So if you're not quite comfortable and you want to text me, if you're very electronic, but you've got a question about tonight's sermon you want to ask me, you can have two minutes. You can either put your hand up and I'll come around and be able to put it out loud or you can text me a question. All right, you've got about a minute or so to do that. Phone number's up there. Put the phone away, Daryl. Anybody with the, you can keep texting if you text anybody with hands up that you say yes I've got a question I want to ask about this passage what you've said tonight that's encouraging it's all pretty clear no question wait a second I'm deaf i got to focus on you who had the question Talk me out on that one. Um, you gave three instances of pretty heavy issues. I imagine in some respects they represent the extreme distortions of very basic Christianity. Is there a level to which we mature beyond being bothered with such issues or do they actually represent the mature issues? Well, I, I think my answer would be I don't know that they are the extremes. I, I think they're the everyday realities. I, I think that what what's being talked about is that our Christian life is actually supposed to impact those sorts of things. See, I don't think the choice of the books that we read and the, and the things that we watch is out there and I know that there are people in here who have struggled with the issue should I or shouldn't I watch these things so for example uh, the big book out there for ladies at the moment is Fifty Shades of Grey right? right who's read it nobody gave to put their hand up who wants to read it some people are telling tips alright but again I think people are challenged with those sorts of things and they don't quite know what to do. They kind of have this idea, the morality that I've heard about in the church would tell me I shouldn't read it. But they don't really have a basis from Scripture, from, from the Word of God to say I should or I shouldn't. And so they basically either go with the crowd or they become judgmental. And they, they, they don't make that decision, in a sense, walking in righteousness. They're either following a crowd or they're following a particular pathway of faith, which is not a bad thing to do, but I still think we need to mature to the stage where the faith is mine. Um, when you come to issues of politics, I think a lot of Christians, you know, every three years when we vote, many Christians take the politics and they take their faith and they separate the two. Now, if you've got a thought-through position that that's what you should do, and you say, yeah, I know, I've read the scriptures and I think that's right, then that's fine. But I think most people just do that because society tells us we have to. We don't necessarily do that because of that. And again, with, with the other one, I don't think, again, that it's an extreme. I think we have people who maybe even haven't walked long in faith and they have to deal with those sorts of issues. And the temptation is always to go with what the world already saying this is how you do it, this is what my society does. The answers might be very straightforward and easy. 
But I still think the scriptures are saying we have to ask those questions of ourselves. Now, the three that I picked, yes. I think they're hard ones to answer. And I think in the end, if we were actually to come down and say that the answer was going to be the same for everybody, as they've thought three and, and the Lord's guided them and directed them according to his will, that would be both unrealistic and I'm not sure that that's what scripture would have us to go that way. But I do think for everybody who comes into that situation, they have a responsibility and maturity to train themselves to say, what would God have me do in this situation? And for some people, the situations that I I mentioned there, I think would be their very real situation even in the next six months. And it doesn't matter whether they've been Christians for a small period of time or a long period of time. Whereas I think there's a whole lot of other questions and I could have picked a whole heap and every single one of them is contentious to someone because that's the choice that they have to make at this moment. That's what makes it contentious. You know, I, I never thought it would be a difficult thing to say, should I have a test about whether there's anything, everything's alright with my baby or not, you know, my wife my uncle's got a kid with Downs and he was born just before Josh was born and they struggled with that whole situation and then the question is well should we what what do you do with all of that and the thing is we tend to make those decisions based on psychology or based on health practice at the moment I think what the writer here is saying is come back to scripture have a look at what scripture has to say Talk with godly people about the thing and get God prompt you into a pathway of righteousness. No text messages. Okay. Any other questions? I'm going to stay away from that, Tracy. Um, how do you define a lazy Christian? How do you define them? Well, I think that's what he defines here. These, these are those people. And again, maybe it's good to sum that up. People who are lazy in their faith. People who don't spend the time in scriptures. They're sluggish. They're lazy Christians. You know, we don't read Christian-y type stuff. Or, and I don't mean you have to read the heavy theology. But, you know, we don't... Our time spent entertaining our stuff is entertainment from the world. There are Christian magazines that are out there we could just sit and thumb through the scriptures and read that. We don't indulge in pondering and meditating upon the scriptures. So I think people who don't do that, I'd kind of say, I think the writer here is saying, they're lazy because they're not investing in in their faith, in this which is the most important part of their faith. It's those people who really have their faith as a very personal thing. My faith is my faith. And we almost get to stage where if we feel comfortable with somebody we might say to them I'll show you my faith if you show me your faith whereas the writer of the Hebrews I think is saying to Christians we pretty much go it's my faith that had bad connotations but that's pretty much what's there this it's not a personal thing this is what I believe and it should impact my life and my pathway of righteousness should be such that it's shown to everybody and so if you find that your Christianity isn't impacting anybody else, you're not using it to encourage, equip, serve, motivate other people, I think you would say, you're just wanting to take all the time. You're just pretty much being lazy. You're going to... Catch potato Christian. Um, and then the third one is if, if you really just go through life and you're not distinguishing right and wrong, you're not going through life and asking, is this the way I go or is that the way I should go? You're not going through life doing all of those sorts of things, then, yeah, you're probably being lazy because being a committed Christian is supposed to be determining those things one way or another. Let me close in prayer and then we'll have some songs. If you've got any other questions, feel free to text me later. Lord God, I pray that we as your people would never would never have it said of us that we're slow to learn or that we're dull of hearing or that we're too lazy as your followers 
Father, I pray that by your spirit prompting in our lives we might be people who just want to know more. We want to meditate on your word. We want to listen to brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to talk about and discuss our faith. That we might take hold of Christ and all that is in him in our lives. Encourage us, Father, to put our faith into practice. Not only by investing in the lives of other people, that they too might have this very foundational knowledge of Jesus that we do but also in our everyday walk that we might be people who know the pathway of righteousness. Father, draw us to yourself. Help us to see Christ in all of his glory and all that he's done for us and that this might motivate us to draw near, to be mature, to grow up in Jesus. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing our final song, um, sing of, of who Christ is and who he is to us. Um, it's probably not the best time, but uh, I did forget to do offering earlier, so we're going to do that to wrap up now as well. So for those who have are prepared, that'd be great. So please do stand and sing with us. Christians, Lord. Help us to read your word and, 
and to seek you and to seek understanding of who you are and what you want us to be in in worship of you, Lord. And I just um, pray that that you will be continually um, impressing that on our hearts and on our minds, Lord, throughout this week and throughout our lives. And I pray that in in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. It has been a late one. Um, just to let you know, we did raise $778.30 tonight um, for Andrew and Donna, so that's fantastic. Um, there is a little bit more soup and a couple of desserts up there as well, and there's um, coffee shop as well, so if you want a cuppa and stick around, that's great. All right. Good night. Really you. This is always going to be you. And if you're not careful, you'll start buying that mess, won't you? You'll get out there and start thinking, well, I guess maybe that is right. Maybe, maybe I... To know you is to never worry for my life. To know you is to never give in or compromise. To know you is to want to tell the world 